All right. If you, if you have a Bible, would you go to Matthew chapter 14? I, uh, I have a sermon today I want to share with you. I'm going to talk to you today about the faith to finish. The faith to finish. You guys have gotten off to such an incredible start. But we serve a God who doesn't just start things. He finishes things. The Bible teaches us in Philippians that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to its completion. And I believe that that's God's nature is a finisher. Uh, And I believe that the nature of God is in us. Um, When we are born again and we are redeemed and we become new creatures in Christ Jesus, um, he gives us these abilities. And this ability to finish is so a part of what God wants for your life. You know, the Apostle Paul said he he got to the end of it and he said, I finished my race. I ran my course. I kept the faith. How many want to finish? I just want to finish well. I want to finish well. I'm 40 years old. And uh, like I said, I've got four kids and two of them will be after my son graduates this year. Two of them will be in college. And my mind is uh, so towards uh, this last uh part of my life, this last half of my life. If I live to be 80, um, I've already lived half of my life. And I've got, if I live to be 80, I've got 40 more years to really give God my best. And man, I want to finish well, because I believe what God is doing in me is not just for me. It's for my kids and for my grandkids, for my great grandkids. Don't you believe that this church is, is here, not just for you, but it's for the future. And what God started here, he wants to finish. And he's going to use other people uh, to, to make sure that it comes to completion. I heard Brian Houston, the Eagle, say this one time. He said, a lot of things that God has promised you will not happen in your lifetime, but they will happen in your lifeline. And you can be sure of this, that God, when he speaks a thing, he will accomplish that thing. Deuteronomy says his word will not return to him void but it will accomplish the thing that he sent it to do. And I believe that City Light is not just a church for this generation, but it is a church for multiplied generations of people to come and that the city is going to be impacted long after we're not in these seats anymore and we're in heaven with Jesus. There are going to be people filling these seats because we finished what we started. This church is not a flash in a pan. It's not just here for a season and then gone. This is a church that's going to outlive and outlast you. And God is in this thing. He is in this place. And this is not just an idea that was in the heart of Jabin and Shannon. This was an idea that was in the heart of God for this city. And uh, their, their faithfulness to say yes and do what he's called them to do. It's so important. And I, I want to I share, share with you some things today. And, and hopefully I can get this out the way I see it. Um, So Matthew 14, and I'm going to take you to a really familiar portion of scripture. Uh, If you've been in church, if you haven't, this might be the first time you've ever heard this story. This is one of the best stories in the Bible. This is one of the most preached stories in the Bible, but I'm going to preach it from a different angle today. God's been showing me something pretty new about it. And I want to share this thought with you. Matthew 14, and we're going to start in verse 22. And look at that. My mom must have knew I was talking about her. She just texted me. (laughs) She's like, November's coming. It's really soon, Robbie. (laughs) Whatever, Mom. Whatever, Mom. (laughs) 
Matthew 14, 22. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross over to the other side of the lake while he sent his people or sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walk on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said, take courage, I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. And he said, save me, Lord. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. But watch what he says. He doesn't give him a participation award. He, he rebukes him. Isn't that amazing? He says, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? I've always wondered about that. Let's pray. We'll talk about it. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. We give you glory and honor for who you are, what you've done so far. Thank you that you have something to say to us today. We open up our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. God, we did not come to fulfill some religious obligation. We came to be changed. We truly want to leave this place different than how we came in. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. amen. Awesome, awesome. I really believe um, what the Bible is teaching us in this story is um, not something completely different than what we've been taught in this story throughout our lives. I've been in church since I was uh, born, basically, and uh, I've heard a lot of sermons out of Matthew 14. And most of them kind of go something like this. They're, they're about Jesus coming out and walking on the water and Peter's incredible faith to step out of the boat and some sort of rebuke towards the disciples who stayed in the boat and us being challenged to be more like Peter and less like the disciples who stayed in the boat. Because at least he got out, right? That's kind of how it's been preached. And I, I really don't believe there's anything wrong with that, but I don't think that that is the true focus of the story. I think the real focus of the story is not Peter's great faith, but Peter's little faith. Watch, in what should have been a moment in our eyes where Jesus goes, wow, look at what you just did. That's amazing. He does the complete opposite. He says, why is your faith so little? And why did you doubt me? And I'm thinking in my head, like, like Jesus, just like, why would you, why would you ridicule this guy after he just walked on water? Like nobody in human history other than you has done this. And nobody has done it since. Like, this is a big moment. Why didn't he pat Peter on the back and say, like, man, you did so good. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Why was it one of those moments? And I believe this. I believe that Jesus was teaching us something about faith. I believe that Jesus was, was teaching us that he doesn't just want us to have a faith that is able to apprehend, but he wants us to have a faith that is able to maintain the thing that we have laid our hands on. In other words, I believe it was in Jesus's heart that Peter would finish the walk and walk into the boat with Jesus and his faith would not just have the strength to start, but the strength to finish. 
I am interested in finishing faith, a faith that causes me to not just start a thing, but to finish a thing. I don't want to just get excited in the moment. And, and we see this a lot in church and maybe even at conferences. And this happened a lot when we were teenagers, maybe when we went to a youth camp. We we're like, Jesus, we're going to change the world. And then we get back in school. And then it's like, where did all of that faith go? Where did all of that challenge go? And it was because we, we have a faith to apprehend, but very few have a faith to maintain. And I believe that Jesus wants to teach us how to finish and not just start. Ecclesiastes 7 and 8 says this. It says, finishing is better than starting and patience is better than pride. You know, one of the things that I was always told, too, is is that we shouldn't be like the disciples who stayed in the boat. We should be like Peter who got out of the boat. Now, if you notice in this story, when Jesus gets into the boat, he does not rebuke the disciples for not getting out of the boat. He does not get in the boat and be like, wow, you guys should have been like Peter and you should have got out of the boat with Peter. He doesn't do that. Why? Because I'm finding something out about the call of God on my life. I'm finding this out. I cannot follow a word God did not give me. I cannot build my life on a word God did not give me. See, it was Peter that asked the question and it was Peter that Jesus told to come to him. And if the rest of the disciples would have said, well, I guess he means me too. It looks like Peter's doing pretty good. And they jumped out too. They would have immediately sank because they were not given the word to come. Can I give you good news today? Can I tell you that you do not have to live your life on a word God did not give you? You do not have to look around and look at people that are the same age as you or are or, or doing better than you in your mind or doing something that you think you should do or, or, or you're in your life and maybe you're 30 years old and you look at other 30 year olds and they've got families and kids and they've got a house already and, and you're looking at your life, man, I need to play. I need to catch up. I'm really far behind. This is good news for you today. You do not have to live your life according to a word God did not give you. God has a word for you. He has a place for you. He's got a time for you and you need to respond to his word on your life, man. It's, it's the importance of calling. It's the importance of having the wisdom to ask Jesus, is that you? Having the discernment to hear his voice and know that it's him. And then having the patience to wait for him to say, come on out. This is what God is teaching us about finishing faith. It's not, it's, it, it doesn't really take a whole lot. Sometimes, sometimes the faith to start is not that difficult. Because what's what happens? A lot of people start stuff. But very few people finish things. Why does that happen? It's because a lot of people start on a word that God didn't give them. And they get out into the middle of it and they're not driven by calling. And so when, when things start to go crazy and things start to look a little bit difficult and things start to look like, wow, there's a little bit of pushback and wow, this isn't going as we planned. Everything I thought would be different. I didn't think I'd be out here by myself. Where is everybody else? See, the thing about calling is when you are called, you can press through people abandoning you. You can press through people rejecting you. You can press through some seasons where it doesn't seem like all the money is there and all the resources are there because you know I am called. And if God called me, he is faithful, come on, to perform his word. And my circumstances are not an indicator that my calling has died. 
Sometimes we look at our circumstances, we think, man, because my circumstances are bad, my calling must have died. God must be calling me into something else. Well, maybe God is calling you to something else, but not from the original call on your life. See, there's a, there's a story in 1 Kings 17 about a prophet named Elijah. And the Bible tells us that he was at this brook called Kareth, and he was there because God told him to go there and he was going to feed him with ravens and that brook was going to give him the water he needed. So he is there. And while he is there, all of a sudden a famine happens. The brook dries up and he's there and nothing is going on in the brook. And he's wondering, OK, God, do you have a plan for my life? And God speaks and God says, listen, I want you to leave this place and I want you to go to this place called Zarephath. There's a widow there and I've made provision for you there. Notice this. His calling was still to be a prophet, but the place had changed. Can I tell you, just because the brook dries up doesn't mean your calling has dried up. The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance, the Bible said. They last and they are in you your entire lifetime. God isn't going to call you to something and then rip away your calling. He's not a hide and seek, take away God. He is a giving God. He gives you a calling and he's drawing it out of you for the rest of your life. The places may change and the people around you may change, but the calling of God over your life never changes. I wonder if we could give God praise that no matter where I am, He's still calling me. That even if I'm in a dry season, even if I'm in a season that seems barren and everything isn't working out, God is still calling me. He's still drawing out of me the thing that he put in me. It's the importance of our calling. This is what Paul says about it in Acts chapter 20. He says, and now compelled by the spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. Watch this. He gets really specific because this is his task. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Notice this. He doesn't put that on everybody else. He doesn't say this is my task and this is also yours. He says, this is what God has called me to. Here is the thing that you begin to understand when you understand calling. I can't go based on a word God didn't give me. I have to go based on the word God gave me. And I cannot live my life according to what other people say about my calling. Like you don't get to define my calling for me. You don't get to tell me how God is going to use me and what God can use me to do. You don't get to tell me that because of my talent, God can't use me in an area that he has gifted me in. Because when the anointing gets a hold of somebody's life, they can do stuff that their talent says they cannot do. I don't know if you've ever met people. See, I tell my church this all the time. I'm like, listen, there's, there's a ton of you here and there are probably and more than likely there are better preachers in the room. There are better leaders in the room. There are people more equipped with a better background than me. They've got more education than me. But can I tell you the difference between you and me and why I'm doing this and you're not? It's because it's my calling. And you can step up on the same stage and grab the same mic, but God won't use you the way he's using me because this is my calling. <laughs> Isn't that good? Because when God calls you, he always, he always prepares places for you. So watch this. It doesn't matter if somebody occupies a space. If that's your space, God will take them out. And listen, if you think that they, they need to get taken out for God to do something in you, you need to understand something. God doesn't need to take people out. 
to get you to where you need to be because he has a place that belongs to you. You don't need anybody to fail for you to succeed. You don't need anybody to fall for you to rise up. God has already made a place for you. So don't trip when other people are successful. Don't trip when other people get the job and you did it. If you didn't get it, that just means God's got somewhere else. God's got something else for you that he's called you to. All right. So, so remember, I said, I said, you don't need the courage to just take a risk. You really need the wisdom to ask the question, is it you? The discernment to recognize it's Jesus and the patience to wait for his word. Watch what the Bible tells us in the New Testament. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and a stranger they will not follow. Church, it is so important that you know the voice of the Lord. There are so many voices out there that are vying for your attention, that are demanding your attention, and you need to know when it is God and when it is not God. I, I was, I was, my son said something to me recently. He said, Dad, I heard this preacher say this. And when he, when he said it, I said, son, that's not God. Well, well, how do you know? I said, because I know God and I know his voice. And that would not come out of the mouth of God. This guy had taken a scripture. He was manipulating it, trying to say something to my son. And I said, that's not what God would say. That's not how God would say it. He said, well, how do you know that? I know God's voice and a stranger I won't follow. See, you need to recognize. You need, you need this discernment in your life. I know the voice of the Lord and I won't follow strangers. You need this in your life because so many people are going to tell you what you should do, where you should go, how you should live. They've got all of the answers about how you should live your life. And God is saying, I, I didn't call them to, to direct you. I didn't call them to lead. I am your shepherd. I have called you to be led by my voice. I don't want you to follow strangers. I want you to be able to recognize that is me and that is not me. See, there, there are voices all over the world. There are people all over the world that call themselves men, women of God, and they rise up and they talk. And, and I've become so in tune with the voice of God that when somebody says, that's not God. That, that's not the Lord. Why, why? How do you know? Because that's not how God would talk. I'm too familiar with him. I'm too familiar with his word that he's already written that I know that is not God. And so I can look at something and say, hey, that's not the Lord. You need that ability in your life because calling is what you need. See, there are a lot of people who are like, man, I just need to get a piece about it. Man, if I could just get a piece about it. No, you don't need a piece about it. You need a word about it. If you get a word about it, you'll get the peace about it. Remember, Peter got a word and then all hell broke loose. He said, come on out. And then the Bible says that when he gets out there, it's like, okay, the wind is picking up. The waves are picking up. He didn't have any peace. And Jesus didn't say peace to the storm until he got back in the boat. So sometimes the will of God looks like chaos. Sometimes the will of God looks like a lot of wind is blowing. Sometimes the call of God looks like it's a difficult situation. Sometimes the call of God is marked by this fact that it doesn't seem like there's a way. Why? Because he doesn't, he doesn't need to find a way. He makes a way out of no way. So when you look at it, don't look at it and say, man, I feel such a peace about it. Look at it and say, I got a word about it. I know he spoke this to me. 
Like, like when it comes to this church, you, you got to know this about your pastor. This isn't something that he was just like, man, I feel like I should start a church. No, he knew he needed to plant a church. That's why he left a very successful traveling ministry, working in a local church that was taking very good care of his family in Southern California. Why? Because he had a word and that word drew him out of that place of comfort into a place of the unknown. Like who's going to show up? I don't know if anybody's going to show up, but I have a word from God and a word will keep you when your feelings won't keep you. A word will keep you when the results don't line up. A word will keep you. It'll keep you. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds. So Peter wasn't walking on water. He was walking on a word and your life. When, as you live it for calling, you live it on a word and it becomes, this isn't a risk. This isn't really truly a risk because faith tells me it's, it's, it's the assurance. It's the confidence. I, I, I know what's going to happen because I, I know God spoke it. So it's a greater risk to not do what God said than it is to do what God says. So I'm going to risk it all for Jesus. I, I hear you and I, I kind of understand, but no, you're not risking everything for Jesus. Like Jesus already risked it all for you. When you put your confidence in Jesus, you're putting your confidence in something that is going to come through every single time. Every time. So it's not really true. Oh, I'm going to risk it for him. No, no, I'm going to put my confidence in what he said because what he said he's going to do. <laughs> That's a good thought. And so I was always like, Peter, man, he's so, so wonderful. He jumped out of the boat. Look at him. And Jesus is like, uh, why is your face so small? Why are you doubting me? I would have been like, but Jesus, I walked on water. Did you not see it? Like, do I not at least get a trophy? Like first person to walk on water trophy? Nope. 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 Because I'm trying to teach you how to finish, not just start. All right. Let's I want to I want to talk to you about how to, how to follow through on your calling. Because, because you, it's, it's one thing to recognize, okay, I'm called by God, but how do, I, how do I follow through? How do I walk this thing out without getting distracted, without throwing in the towel, without giving up, without sinking? And this is the great thing about the grace of God that we see in the story. Obviously, if we do sink, Jesus is there. Jesus help me. But I'm telling you, if he if if he would if we would allow him to teach us finishing faith, there would be a lot less Jesus help me save me prayers in our life. Because that's not truly what our prayer life is supposed to look like. Oh, I'm in a bad situation. Help. Oh, I'm in over my head. Help. Most of the time we get in over our head is because we follow the word God didn't give us. There's a story in Exodus chapter 14 about Moses and the people of God and Pharaoh. And the Bible says that they have been delivered from Egypt. They're out and they're basically at a place where it looks like they're trapped. The Egyptians had decided, hey, we shouldn't have let them go. We're going to follow them and we're going to catch them. We're going to take them back. And the people of God are out there and they've actually caught up and they're looking around. The Egyptians are about to come up on them and take them hostage again. And the Bible says that they look at Moses. They're like, what are we going to do? And Moses says, stand still. See the salvation of the Lord. And then Moses, watch, watch this. He turns to God and he's like, hey, what are we going to do? 
<laughs> right? And God says, Moses, why are you talking to me? I already gave you a word. That's what the Bible says. Sometimes we're standing still and God said, I told you to move forward. That's what he says. Moses says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He says, God, what should we do? God said, I told you to move on. You're still standing still in a place God told you to move on from. And you're thinking that if, I, if I'm not here, then I'm not called. And God's saying, no, that's not the way it works. Your calling is within you. It's a part of you. It's not always connected to where you are. I need you to move forward. Some of you are thinking, if I don't move forward, if, if I do move forward, then I move on from that, from that calling, from that thing God was doing. No, it's time to move forward into the new thing that God has for you. It's the same calling in a new place. But watch what happens. The Bible says, God, says, God tells him, he says, he says, Moses, I need you to stretch out your rod. The water is going to part and everybody's going to walk through. So they, they do it. He stretches out his rod. The water parts. Everybody walks through. And Pharaoh's sitting up there on the hill and he goes, wow, that seems easy enough. That looks doable. So he tells his, he tells his people, he's like, okay, follow them through the water. What happens? They go into the water and the Bible tells us that the whole sea collapses on them and kills everybody. Why? Because they followed a word God didn't give them. And the reason you feel like the walls are caving in on you is because you have followed a word God didn't give you. Well, all right. Bless the Lord on oh my soul. So how do I follow through? How do I follow through? 2 Timothy 4 and 7, Paul says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. I'm going to give you this thought. And these are very practical thoughts. You can write these down if you're taking notes. One of the first ways we begin to follow through on the call of God for our life is we have to learn to say no. It's a very small word, but a very powerful word. You've got to learn the power. You've got to have the ability to say no. Because watch this. My ability to finish starts with knowing what needs to stop. Much of the stress in your life is not connected to all of the stuff you have to do. It's connected to the stuff that is undone. The things that you have not finished, you have not completed. And they're out there like my son's homework. And they're halfway done. My little seven-year-old, his homework is due every Thursday. And what does he do? He waits till Wednesday night and he's sitting there struggling to get it all finished because he's trying to press it in. And he was saying he didn't say no to some things during the week. He said he's, he didn't say no to five hours playing a video game. He, he didn't say no to one more episode of SpongeBob SquarePants. And it put him in a position where he is now forced to try to get all of this stuff in and it's not working because my ability to say no clarifies what I'm able to say yes to. It creates margin in my life for me to be free to do what God has called me to do. So I tell our people all the time, I'm like, don't start your year out with a to-do list. Start your year out with a I ain't going to do it list. Like, I'm not like this. is I'm not going to do this. Like when I got into 2019, I made a list and it was all stuff I'm not going to do. Things I am not going to do. I, I made a decision in 2019. Hey, I am not going to live offended in 2019. 
I'm not going to live offended. I don't care what they said. I don't care what they did. I'm not going to live offended. I'm not going to let any decision I make be based out of fear this year. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to let that person manipulate me anymore. I don't need a relationship that bad anyway. Can somebody say, man, I have a hard time maintaining the good ones, much less hanging on to the crazy people in my life. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to settle in a place God told me to walk through. I'm not going to, I'm not going to build a house in a place he called me to pitch a tent in. Not. So I have to, I have to decide. No. I'm not going to do it. Why? Because again, you don't get to define my calling. I got people all the time telling me, well, you're a pastor. You should. Right. This person came up to me one time and they were like, can you do our wedding? I didn't, I didn't even know them. They were part of our church, but I, I, I hadn't, I hadn't met them. I, di- I didn't know them. And I said, you know what? Right now, I'm, I'm, I'm unable to do that. I'm, I'm only able to do weddings for people I know personally, close friends and things like that. I'm sorry about that. But we've got a, a staff full of people. There's somebody that would love to do the wedding. They, they got mad. They sent me an email. You're a pastor. It's your job to do weddings. I said, show me in the Bible <laughs> where it tells me that's my job. It's not in there. You can't tell me that. And I take our church to Acts 6 all the time. This is what happens in Acts chapter 6. The, the Bible says there that the disciples were um, being kind of bombarded by the people. They were frustrated because they said this. The people said this. Hey, guys, uh, the widows and the orphans are being neglected and somebody needs to do something about it. And the disciples said this. It said it would be wrong for us to neglect the ministry of the word to wait tables. And I can I can sense it in the room. You're offended at that scripture. Because it's like, what kind of pastor would say no to helping the widows and the orphans? That's his job. No, actually, New Testament tells me that his job is to minister the word. If he chooses to do that, then that's his choice. But you don't get to define his calling for him. And that's what the disciples were saying. You don't define our calling. We are here to minister the word and we need to find some people that are qualified to wait the tables. It's not derogatory. It's not making fun of people who wait tables. It's not saying they're on a lower level. It's saying it's a different calling. And and if I do something I'm not called to do, then I rob somebody of the opportunity to do the thing they are called to do. So what we need to do, they said, go find some people who are full of faith and wisdom. And they go out and they find one person in particular is named Stephen. Now, Stephen is not second class citizen to any of the disciples. Matter of fact, Stephen has an experience with God that many of the disciples never had. The Bible teaches us that he's preaching one time and he's preaching so good. And the Pharisees are so angry at him that they pick up stones to stone him. And as he is dying, the the Bible says he's looking up to heaven and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the father, basically giving him a standing ovation for who he is. Don't tell me for a second that children's ministry is second class, that serving in the parking lot is second class to preaching and, 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 and visiting people in the hospital is second class to being a pastor. No, none of that. God is saying, I just want people to operate in their calling. I haven't empowered you to do what they do. I need you to do what I've called you to do. Now, listen, if you're a young person and you go home today and you tell your mom when they tell you to make your bed, like, mom, I don't feel called to make my bed. You have totally misappropriated this message. That is not what I'm talking about. Okay. 
But you have to live your life. With, you got to learn to say no, because every good thing is not a God thing for you. Let me give you another thought on finishing and, and following through in your calling. You have to practice abiding, not producing. You have to practice abiding, not producing. God never called us to produce fruit. He called us to abide in him and a byproduct of abiding in him is producing fruit. You've never gone out into the woods and like hurt, like listen to the trees, like let's listen to the trees. And they're like, ah! and you go up to a tree and you're like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm trying to produce some fruit, bro. They ne- they're not trying that hard. It's just a byproduct of who they are. But you got a lot of Christians look like constipated Christians. You know what I'm talking about? They're like, ah! And you're like, what are you doing? I'm trying to serve Jesus. I'm trying to love people. And you're like, it's not that hard. <laughs> like, it's really not. Like, if you would just abide, you would produce. But your problem is you're trying to produce without abiding. You haven't been with Jesus. And when you're with Jesus, man, just loving people is the overflow of who you are. Being kind is the overflow. Being generous is the overflow. You don't have to, oh, I'm trying really hard to be generous this Christmas. Oh, man. Well, no, you're a Christian. It's part of your DNA. It's who you are. You don't have to try. I'm trying really hard to, 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 to see miracles. And it's like, no, you don't have to try. So it's a byproduct of who you are as you abide in Christ. Luke 54, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in me in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Let me give you some principles here of abiding because there's also this point in Luke, in, uh, I'm sorry, in in Luke 15, where it talks about pruning, you know, the Bible says that he, he prunes uh, the branches that bear fruit. I always thought, man, why don't you deal with the bad branches and keep your scissors off of me, Jesus? <laughs> like, let me be. <laughs> but there's, there's a point, when a, especially when you're dealing with like, with like a grapevine. The pruning process, there's, there's two parts to it. They prune uh, back the watch this they prune back the old branches because as a branch gets older it gets further away from the vine and it produces inferior crop this is what happens to a lot of christians they've been with jesus a long time they're like i don't need to be as close i don't need to pray that long i don't need to show up to all three services and serve i don't i don't need to do that i'm just going to go to sunday night because that makes me feel good i i'm I'm not going to get involved i'm just going to and i'm just i'm i've been been serving so long i've been doing so much and they get out and they begin to produce an inferior crop so the bible says i cut them back because i need to i need them to remember you ain't nothing without me you're nothing without the vine And then the younger ones, watch this. They don't let the younger branches produce fruit in the first year. Why? Because if they if if their branch isn't strong enough and they produce fruit, it can break. That's why the Bible says lay hands suddenly on no man. Right. Because it's trying to teach us a lesson. If you're going to finish, you've got to understand process. (laughs) Okay. and here's part of it. I'll finish here. So as I'm abiding, what this teaches me is this. I don't reach to grow. I grow to reach. Will you stand with me? I'll share a thought with you and then we'll close. When my, when my seven-year-old was really little, he had this habit of uh, little Oliver. He would climb everything. And uh, if he wanted a cup, if he wanted a drink, he would never ask for help. He's always climbing everything. Like he, he had this independent attitude about him. He was like, I'm going to get my own cup. 
I'm going to get the drink out. And he's like four years old trying to pour juice. That's a bad combo for and trying to pour juice and constantly spilling stuff everywhere. And we're like, bro, if you would just ask us, we would get that for you. But he just kept doing it and kept doing it. I came out one day and he was up on the counter and he had opened up all the drawers so that he could climb up to the counter and he had stacked plates. He's standing on a stack of plates, <laughs> reaching the top counter. Because I thought if I just put it up higher, he'll say, okay, that's just too far for me to go. Like I can't, but no, he, he gets up there and he gets it. And it taught me something about my life because I'm able to walk over to that same cabinet open it up and reach in and grab a cup that he has to create all of these processes to get to all of these man-made, but they weren't intended to be used that way. My cabinet is not a ladder. Like the drawers are not like steps, but he's using them for as steps. And it taught me something about reach. God is more interested in whom I'm becoming than what I'm doing. It's, it taught me this in my, in my abiding, what it ha what happens is I grow and my grow defines my reach. So I'm not having to manufacture a way into a place that I can't get to, but if I'll grow to that place, then I can walk up to it and open it up and reach and grab it. And I'm not getting myself into a place. You ever seen a kid get up on a counter and they go, I can't get down. And a lot of you are in that situation right now. I've got myself into a place I can't get out of. I can't get down from here. What do you do? I told him, I said, Ollie, if it's something you can't reach, you call me. That's what God does for you as you abide where you're saying, God, I can't reach it, but you can. God, I can't, I can't grab it, but you can. God, I can't fix this, but you can. God, I cannot do this, but you, you can. Will you bow your head with me? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that our growth is defining our reach. Thank you, God, that as we lean into you, as we abide in you, that you are growing us. You are putting in us what is necessary and you are helping us define our reach. Help us to not overextend ourselves. Get involved in things we were not supposed to get involved in. Conversations we weren't even supposed to be involved in. Opportunities we were never intended to be involved in. Let our growth define our reach. I'm not, I, I don't want my, my uh, I don't want my, my ability to get me into a place that my character cannot sustain. I, I want to abide in you. And I want to live out of calling, out of, not out of comfort, not based on my feelings, but out of calling. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said amen. amen.